Hey everyone, welcome to Noun A Talk, the podcast all about nouns. This is a show where we interview members of the DAO and project builders in the ecosystem. I'm your host, CDT, and today I sat down with Breakfast Sandwich, a longtime builder in the nouns ecosystem. We go through his history as a photographer, coming to nouns and working on one of the first 10 proposals, and we even talk about his latest project, Nouns Coffee, and he gives us his recommended coffee setup. He's worked on several big props for nouns, and we highlight each one while also diving deeper into what makes a good proposal in the first place. This is a great episode for new builders to listen to and be inspired from if you're thinking of working with nouns someday. I'm excited for you to hear this episode, and be sure to check out the new YouTube channel for Noun & Talk, where we're uploading full episodes and clips each week. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hey, good morning. Morning, CDT. How are we doing? Good, good. Good morning, breakfast sandwich. How are you? Doing super well. You know, it's Friday today. Have some coffee. About to wrap up the work week. Get ready for the weekend. So yeah, it feels good. Super excited to be here. Totally. So you've done a lot and I feel like you wear a lot of different hats. So how do you maybe describe yourself when asked when you meet new people in the space? Hey, I do X. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, it's tough because like you said, I think just in this Web3, this crypto space, especially in Nouns ecosystem, it's like in order to get your name out there to be successful, you do have to wear all of these different hats. So like, I guess if someone were to ask me what I am, what I do, I would almost just say I'm someone who is great at building teams, building great products and projects based on those teams, really good at just bringing together talented people to create the best products that we can, whether that's po-op projects, whether that's coffee, whether that's any kind of production, really. That's kind of what I do. I would like to say I am great at building teams and those teams are great at building awesome things. Yeah. So let's just go all the way back. Tell me either from education or previous work history, as much as you're comfortable sharing, what in your trajectory led you to being able to build these great teams and talk me through some of your experiences. Definitely. I think going pretty far back, I've always been a creative person, whether that's design, photography, branding, always had this creative heart and creative mind. I actually spent the good part of five to 10 years throughout college and right out of college doing photography and design work full time. So I was in the weeds doing the work, doing the creative work, and I loved it. But there was this analytical, logical, rational part of me that really wanted to ground myself a bit more. And so I had some great friends who were actually running marketing agencies. They had worked in design fields. They're like, you're really creative, but you're also very structured, rigid. You're great at following processes. I'm one of those people that's usually up at five or six in the morning running, working out, getting ready for my day. And so they're like, there's actually this field called project management. I honestly had never heard about it before. I hadn't really been involved with people who worked at agencies uh, during my photography career. And so I didn't really know what project management was. And so they recommended it to me. I started doing some research, started watching some videos, looking at some classes and seeing what that was all about. And that's where I think this love for building teams, working on projects really started because I found this career path that allows you to work with incredibly talented and creative people 
and like almost up level them and encourage them to build really freaking awesome things. And so taking this love for creative work, but also taking this rigid structure, very detail oriented management style that is honestly probably one of the biggest parts of who I am and and kind of my day to day. Bringing both of those together into this field of project management, operations, building things with awesome people is where it all started. And that was probably six or seven years ago now when I took that step from being a creative to being someone who uplevels, works, manages creative people, which is fun. It's kind of like you get to see all of this awesome work. You get to be a part of it, but like you kind of get to be in the background. It's interesting because it is I would say almost a more humbling career path. You're not the one who, if you're, let's say, the director or the artist that's on a big project, like their name is most likely going to be the one on the credits. So it's an interesting career path that I actually really enjoy. And also that kind of ties into my love for where we're at now with this pseudonymous alias I'm going under with Breakfast Sandwich, where I get to work with some really awesome teams. But it's funny because no one really knows who I actually am. But that's definitely a fun conversation that we can have later, too. But yeah, that's that's the beginning of it all. Yeah. So way back was way more in the creative field. And I want to touch on that a little bit. Let's just nerd out about photography for a minute, because I've been a photographer for 10 years now. Yeah. And I haven't been able to talk to anyone on the podcast about photography. So what did you do for the photographers listening? You know, what do you shoot? What's the setup? What do you like? Did you do it for work or is it just for yourself? Yeah. So I, as I feel like a lot of people did, it was actually in high school that I first picked up my very first camera. It was the Canon 60D with a kit lens. I'm pretty sure it was like the 18 to 35. And it was like a 4.5 to 5.6 aperture range or something like that. Like just the most basic starter camera you could get. But I picked that up, I think sophomore, junior year in high school. And I had some older friends and mentors in my life at that time that were wedding photographers. And so I was like, oh, this seems like a cool path. They get to travel. They get to do all these things. It seems cool. Let's try it out. And so did the typical process of reaching out to all of my friends. I have this camera. Want me to take your senior photos? And so that's kind of how it all started. And luckily, I was at the very, very beginning of, I guess, what you would call Instagram and where these creators and these photographers started getting bigger and bigger and bigger and growing audiences pre-algorithm switch. And so I started taking photos of the outdoors, my camping trips, my adventure trips, road trips, those kind of things, and turned a humble hobby of just helping out friends with senior photos into this lifestyle travel photography business that started through Instagram, which is crazy to think that back then it was so easy. Now it's like, it's impossible to get started and become what I was able to become back in the day. But yeah, I started shooting landscape work, going on trips, and that turned into accumulating an audience of nearly like 100 to 150,000 followers on Instagram, which at the time, back in the beginning, like that was huge for brands. And so I started getting outreach from companies like Delta, a bunch of tourism departments around the United States, tourism departments even overseas. And they were just like, you post great things. You're a great photographer. Do you want to come travel around Norway, Sweden, England, and take photos for us and share them with us to use on our tourism department accounts? And so that's what I spent probably, I would say midway through college until like three or four years out of college, primarily doing. I did weddings as well on the side. I had this good business going, actually, that was sustaining me 
very comfortably throughout college and out of college. But I don't know, there was something about the travel and kind of this grind that happens in photography that doesn't really happen in other creative paths, at least from my experience. You ended up having to take so much work. You shot all these weddings. 20% of it was inspiring and fun. And then 80% of it was just sitting behind a computer, clicking copy and paste on edits to be able to get your final product done and ship off to the client. And so I just got burnt out by that. I spent, I would say, yeah, a good eight years doing photography almost full time. That was a really fun time and rewarding time and got me into the creative career path I am in now. Yeah, it's funny. My first camera was the 60D as well. So I remember it fondly. What do you shoot with now? I mean, I'm assuming even though you're not doing it for work, do you like your iPhone or do you have maybe like a personal camera you like to take out on trips? Yeah, so I actually made this decision three or four years ago now that I was working in agencies doing production work as this creative operations, project management kind of role. And I was just super, super busy. I was super bogged down. I didn't get a chance to pick up any commercial clients at all. I had said no to weddings. I was done doing weddings and I had this massive arsenal of digital cameras. And I had slowly started paying attention to film photography, analog 35 millimeter, 120 medium format photography. And there was something that was really interesting about it and the slowness, the nostalgia taking you back into this realm of not having photos at your fingertips, thousands of photos, hundreds of shutter clicks. There was something that felt really intriguing about that. And so I made this gut decision to just sell every single piece of my digital camera gear and invested it all into analog. So I actually do not own a digital camera anymore. I own probably an unhealthy amount of film cameras, but that's where kind of this passion and love for photography has gone. I'm now very focused on this fun hobby of analog photography, which honestly makes you enjoy your moments out with family, friends on your trips so much more because you aren't taking a digital photo and then looking at the screen making sure you have your settings right, making sure focus is on, making sure the lighting's right. I noticed that you were losing so much of those special moments when you're out with people you love or out on trips that were like, should have been super memorable. And all you have when you come home from it is like this photo, but you don't really remember the moment that you took that photo where now for me with analog photography, like you meter your shot, you take your shot and that's it. You aren't focused on like, dang, I hope I got this right. Let's look. Okay, let's redo this shot. Let's redo this shot. It's cool. I took a couple shots of this beautiful waterfall, this beautiful mountain landscape. And now I wait till I get home and can get the film developed. And so you actually get to enjoy your time in these spaces with these people so much more. And it's been a super cool experience transitioning from digital to film photography for that reason. Yeah, I recently bought a fixed lens camera because I also have a ton of Canon gear. But when I go on vacations and stuff, I don't want to lug around 20 pounds of camera and three oh, yeah. lenses. And so I bought a fixed lens camera to kind of force me. It's digital still. But yeah, I it's just a lot nicer. I slow down. I can't change my lens. I got to zoom with my feet, if you will. And I have <laughs> to make it work that way. I tried film for a little bit at the beginning, enjoyed it. I ended up owning the Canon 3, like the EOS 3, which yep. it like looks just like a DSLR, which doesn't really talk to your point because the idea being to slow down a bit, but these look the exact same as a Canon DSLRs. Yeah. So I can change all the settings and I can use like my EF lenses. And so I did very crisp, beautiful film images, but like they're not, I mean, it doesn't help me slow down. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. What's your favorite film camera? What do you take out or what do you like the most? So. 
obviously as cliche as it is to say, I do have the Leica M6. Obviously, they stopped production of these things 20 plus years ago. So my camera is 25, 30 years old. And just yesterday, Leica announced that they are re-releasing the M6. So basically recreating a film camera, which I think is one of the first times in decades that a company has started creating a film camera after everyone started moving to digital. So I would say the M6, it is the like quintessential best rangefinder camera you can possibly find. I would say that's like my favorite. The one though that I pick up more so than any other camera is, so it's it's a medium format camera. It's the Mamiya 6. And so what this is, is it's basically a 120 film camera that is a square ratio. So it's called the Mamiya 6 because it's technically like six by six, what the film format is. And so you actually have to shoot square images, which there was something about that that you weren't really able to work in kind of the rule of thirds as much as you are with normal photography or normal two by three ratio, three by two ratio cameras. And so I found this kind of love for the simplicity of most of my shots with that camera, either like a beautiful landscape or things are centered. And it kind of takes you back to the original Instagram days like a decade ago where you had to post square images, if you remember that. And so it makes you think about your moments and your shots a lot differently. And it's just a fun camera to shoot. So. I would say the Mamiya 6 is the one that I pick up more so than any other camera, but it's also crazy expensive to shoot film. So I don't pick them up as much as I used to. I'd like to hear a story from your agency travel days because I've been a photographer forever and I remember exactly when Instagram hit. I remember those days. Crazy. (laughs) You had like six figure followers like that. That was a ton back then. You know, now having two million followers maybe feels like nothing on Instagram. But back then, I mean, I can get a sense of the kind of photographer you were just from having been in the industry for so long. And I knew of these people that traveled and got to do this. So it's really cool that that was you. Do you have maybe like a story that sticks out or a, a favorite place you got to travel through photography? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely do. The one that would have been a paid trip that was kind of a sponsored trip through this. There are two. I'm having a hard time deciding which one was my favorite. There's one that I got to see the most of the world that I've ever gotten to see, which was a really memorable experience. I did this campaign for Avis, the car rental company, and they basically sent me around Europe for a month and a half. And they were just like, cool, every place you go, show them this. They'll know you're working for us. They'll just give you a car. Didn't have to worry about paying for gas or anything and just hopped around to probably eight or nine different countries throughout Europe, which was was a really, really cool experience. And I got to see so much. Another one would have been Mexico City. Have you ever been to Mexico City? Yeah, I shot a wedding there. Okay. Yeah, it's this like super warm, really memorable place. It feels like unlike any kind of major U.S. city. And I went there with one of my best friends. It was a campaign for Delta. And so they were taking these people who had big Instagram followings and sending them out all over the world. And you would just write a tour guide or a list of what you should do, what you should see, and then include your photos in it. And so I did Mexico City for a week. And it was just a really, really cool experience knowing that me picking up a camera in high school has allowed me to literally travel the world with my best friends and the people I love just taking photos. And so it still baffles me. Some people will be like, you're an idiot forever stopping doing that. But there was something and it was actually at the end of this trip that I kind of decided it was too much. I literally had gotten home from one campaign. I had 72 hours to pack my bag and then go back to the airport to go to Mexico City. I got back from Mexico City. I had three days at home, four days at home, and then had to go I got on a flight to Iceland. I was there for almost a month. 
And then I got to come home and then I was shooting like three or four weddings at a time. And it just became this grind that didn't feel sustainable for the type of life I wanted to move on into living. I just met who is actually my now wife and realized I love photography, but I don't love it this much to like have to be away from the people I love as much as I was. And so that was actually what actually really sparked the switch to agency life. Yeah, I really feel that. I just wrapped up my last wedding ever. So congrats. It's crazy. It's been with you forever. Yeah, thank you. Feels good. But yeah, I definitely know what that's like. So let's move on to pseudonymity. Let's move on to the name. Where did Breakfast Sandwich come from? And at what point, and maybe you can kind of tell us the beginnings of your crypto journey in general, because I'm assuming they tie in or was Breakfast Sandwich just Web2 kind of moniker you took on? Yeah. So Breakfast Sandwich honestly dates back to probably even before photography and everything. Breakfast Sandwich dates back to high school for me. And so that was a name that I just used as literally my gamer tag. So Call of Duty back in the day on Xbox, I would use Breakfast Sandwich as my gamer tag for all of these different games I would play. And so because of that, it kind of transformed through the rest of my life. I would use it every time I'd make a new account for a gaming account. And it wasn't until I started wanting to get more involved and more integrated into crypto that the thought of pseudonymity came up as like, I don't know if I want to dabble in this quite yet as my real personality, as who I am in my day to day, just because the people I was around, the people I knew of crypto kind of made a bad taste in their mouth. It was something that I wasn't sure if I wanted people to know that I was fully about to dive deep into this thing and start thinking about it and talking about it and seeing what I could do in the space. And so Breakfast sandwich was obviously a very, very simple choice for me. That was something that I had used. That was a big part of my personality when it came to gaming and my online digital life. Reddit, everything. Breakfast sandwich is the name I've used for years across the board. And so that was a no brainer for me. But yeah, this idea of pseudonymity is super interesting to me because although I use it as my gamer tag, you never felt like it was a separate part of you or a separate person from you. Where Now in this crypto space, as we've seen, there are so many people that you can tell they're living these different lives from their normal day to day, their normal nine to five within the crypto space under these pseudonyms. I think I made my Twitter account for Breakfast Sandwich knowing I was about to get into this space a year and a half ago now, I think is how long I've been in and diving in deep into crypto. So yeah, it's a super, super weird journey, but it's been fun. Yeah, the gamertag thing is interesting. I stopped playing video games around the GameCube days, so I never played Xbox or had gamer tags or anything. But you're not the first person to say that. And so it's interesting because I never had, you know, other identity or something to sign up like that. So I've just always been Christian everywhere until coming to crypto. And it's actually been something I've had to, like, get used to. Okay, I guess I'm CDT. For you guys, a gamer tag, I mean, that could have started like in middle school and people don't make their names or gamer tags, you know, my understanding. And it's always something else. And so I'm sure this transition was pretty easy to just walk into. Oh, it definitely was. And I think the funniest thing, too, is for you, even though you easily can tell that you're a Christian, everyone in this space just thinks you're CDT and immediately like off the cuff thinks you're a pseudonym, your kind of crypto space name. And it's just so funny how that's become almost a norm. I've been trying to wrap my mind around why that is. Is it because the digital age, like all these kids who grew up on Reddit, even like 4chan, these kind of things were just used to that? Is it because possibly 
crypto has this weird connotation, this negative feeling to a lot of people. And so when people get into it, do they feel embarrassed or nervous that their friends and family will know that they're involved in this? And so that's one of the things I've been thinking about a lot. And I'm trying to wonder why pseudonymity is actually such a strong part of crypto. Yeah, I mean, as someone who's much newer to the space, my Twitter account is my personal one. I just kind of wiped my history and changed the username. But now I'm working in the space full time. But before I had a job, to me, it was just clocking into my second job with the hours I was putting in. It kind of was a second job. And so it's just the context switching, I guess. I don't really care about the anonymity. In general, things that I want to stay private are going to be private, whether you see my face or know my name. Like, you're not going to find stuff I don't want you to find. Exactly. Family, etc. those things. Yeah, so I don't really care. Like, it's funny. I was so naive when I came to the space. And then when I first joined Nouns, I know I've told this story before, but like when I first joined the Discord, I think it was like the first Discord I ever joined. I just came in with my name as my name. <laughs> and my profile picture was just my face. And I was the one person like that. And so that's why I changed it. I was like, I guess I have to play along or whatever. And so crypto's always been like this context switching. Like, okay, I'm Superman. You know, I'm putting the glasses on, I guess. Now I'm Clark Kent. Now it's the crypto persona. I know. I was telling my wife earlier today, I was just like, all right, got to put the breakfast sandwich hat on, which is actually funny, though, that because I've been so involved in this space, in this ecosystem under breakfast sandwich, it has come out into my day to day life, into what I'm doing every day. Obviously, we can, we'll talk about some of the projects later, but like it's more than just sitting on Discord now to me. It's something that takes hours and hours a day of be building outside of being on Discord and Twitter. And so there is the part of me that has morphed both of my IRL personality as well as breakfast sandwich together. They almost feel now more ingrained together than they used to. Because yeah, it definitely used to be like, oh shoot, which Twitter account am I supposed to be posting from? Oh shoot, am I on the wrong one? And now it's like, I could see eventually both morphing together and whether you call it doxing or not, just like, this is me. Now this person is the same person. And so there's no need to really keep them separate. So yeah, it's definitely something interesting to think about. Yeah, I mean, it's been a fun year, but I'm hoping to go to NFT NYC this year. I know there's a couple of things coming up where I'll have the decision whether I'm going on camera or not. And I think I just like, Again, it's been a fun year playing this, but I personally don't care about being, you know, face <laughs> anonymous forever. People know my name. It's not a big deal. But also to your point about they kind of feel like the same. We've never met in person, but I feel like Breakfast Sandwich is who you are. I think if you had an alt account, like an actual alt account from Breakfast Sandwich, maybe that'd be more difficult. That's a new persona that you don't want tied. But like CDT and Christian, like it's just me. It's just a different name. That's not my name. That's why it feels so similar is because it's just me. There's nothing really different under the hood except the name. Exactly. So who actually gets you into crypto or when do you start really dabbling into it? Yeah, so this is actually like probably one of the most random entries into crypto out of anyone that I've talked to or know of. Obviously, my friends and I would just throw some money in Coinbase here and there. I would not include that as my entry into crypto, even though that started years and years ago. The biggest catalyst to me starting to get involved, find people on Twitter, like figure things out was my now wife was literally, she followed this designer who posted a thing about these things called yats, which are you familiar at all with what those are, or what those were? I've heard of it, but I'm a noob. And so I think it's these websites, you can use emojis, <laughs> but I don't know much more. Yeah, so basically, that's literally how it started. I think their goal, and I honestly have not been following them much lately, but I think their goal was to be able to use emojis as your wallet address in crypto. 
I think that was one of their milestones for what they were really reaching towards. But obviously had a lot of kind of technological implications. It was harder to do, harder to create. And so what they started doing is they started creating like you got to choose a string of emojis and it was like dot yat. And that was your web address. And so I honestly think you don't even need dot yat when you use certain browsers like Opera or other very digital native progressive browsers. So yeah, she was following this designer on Twitter that posted he had a yat. And she's like, look at this thing. This dude has a basketball and a sword and something as his URL. And then you go here and it's basically just your LinkedIn bio where you can put personal website, your like design website, your Instagram, your Twitter, everything else. And so I started looking into them started following people who were involved in them because I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. This is something new and it seems innovative. Saw that they were looking at adding in crypto wallet integrations to be able to basically, I could type in to you CDT, if yours was a computer and a rock or whatever as your emoji, I could just type that in and it would link your wallet similar to ENS, how they do it now, and I would be able to pay you. And so that was literally my first really, oh, crypto is more than just adding some money to Coinbase. There's a lot to it. And so I started following more and more people. Four and five, six obviously was huge at that time. I think this was right around the time that he bought his ape punk. And so, yeah, I want to say this would have been 2021, January, February was when I started following people, getting involved, paying attention to what was happening. And I think that's all it was for a while. So spent like four to five months just following people, reading up on things, kind of getting informed and what this kind of uprising of cryptos and especially NFTs at the time actually was. That was like the start. And this was all actually on my personal normal Twitter. And I didn't start thinking about taking this dive in and seeing what I could do in the space until May or June of 2021. And so that's the start. That's where it all began. Yeah. And I came to announce the first week that it started. So I was not around the summer before. I didn't know it was happening. I didn't see the hype or the excitement or the announcement, the test net days, all that. So if you joined in June, like that's when that was happening. So to me, it's funny to think of 4156 outside of the context of nouns, because that's like how I was introduced to him as. And so I'm assuming you were just following him, leader in the space. And so you just heard about nouns or how does nouns come into the picture? And because I feel like there's a few builders that are still around from the very beginning, you being one of them. And so where does nouns like really come into the picture in those early days? Yeah. So obviously was following 4156, saw his integral tweet for like, what is nouns? His Twitter thread white paper. So I saw that and I'm pretty sure if you go back, there are definitely replies from Breakfast Sandwich in the early, early days as they were thinking about this, asking for help, asking for builders or artists or those kind of things that I was super, super intrigued by. And I had done enough research in this space to really know that this was something different and innovative. At the time, I was already feeling burnt out just hearing about apes, cool cats, all these things that were just these repetitive copy paste projects of a new art form with a new character, a new animal. Here's your 10k community. And when 4156 started talking about this and like this new mechanic that was one noun every day, like one piece every day, at first I was like, dude, that's going to take you forever. How is anyone going to really be interested in this? Want to be involved when there's no action happening? It literally will take, what is it, 27 years or something like that to get to a 10,000 piece collection, which was the norm and still is, maybe isn't at this time. I have departed myself so far from the typical NFT space that I don't even know now. It's really just nouns all I'm invested in. So 
followed all of those Twitter threads, followed them like starting to ask for help. And this was when they first created their Discord two summers ago now. And I got in honestly like maybe one of the first hundred, couple hundred people that were in the Discord and started seeing that test nets were popping up. People were asking for Rinkaby ETH. Pretty sure you can see some transactions on my wallet from way back in the day, like sending Rinkaby ETH to some of the nounders. And so I was that early where I was able to really know what they were building before the August 8th date that everyone obviously is such an important date in the space. But yeah, I ended up winning one of the testnet nouns. I think the hardest thing for testnet nouns were like Rinkaby ETH. If you had been around in the space longer than I was, it was so easy to get. You just turned on the faucet and just every day would go claim your 3, 6, or 18 ETH or whatever it was. I didn't have enough. So I was like fighting tooth and nail. I'm pretty sure the one that I won, I actually had to win at like 3 a.m. US time because people were more outbidding me with their Rinkaby ETH. So funny. But yeah, I have a double glasses one. I want to say it's number 43. But yeah, so... I was pretty dang early and obviously it's a life-changing space. It's basically a space-defining project for crypto and it still is. Every single day there's people talking about new things, new innovative projects that are just going to keep pushing the space forward. And honestly, Nouns is the outset of that. They were the start of this all. And so it's been really, really cool to see this grow and see all the builders come into the space around Nouns. Yeah. Do you remember how much you won the 3 a.m. auction for? I mean, it was somewhere around like... 40 to 60 is probably the range of Rinkaby ETH, which is actually funny because that's what it's going for now and real ETH. And so maybe that was a foreshadowing of what auctions would kind of be casually going at a year later. Yeah. So you're here. It's happened. We're a month or so in. At some point, that's when I met you sometime in August. And so we worked on proposal number nine together, the POA project. But you came to me with that. So why don't you tell me the story of how that came to be and transitioning into like forming teams? Because it was not my idea. I was part of a team that you formed. So let's hear the story on proposal number nine. Yeah, definitely. So with Nouns, they started August 8th happened. They almost immediately started thinking about, cool, we're here. Now let's bring in governance. Let's bring in proposals. Let's use this treasury, which I honestly think blew up beyond even the Nounders' wildest dreams so fast that they're almost like, shoot, what do we do with this money? We have so much. Let's just pay people to do things that proliferate, which is a word you hear all the time around Nouns. Proliferate Nouns. Proliferate this community, this ecosystem. Let's just throw money at talented people and see what they can do. And so I was obviously around at that time It took me a while to try to figure out what I could do, what I could bring to the space. Because like I said, my biggest additive to projects like this is actually the team building side of things. Ideating is great. I can be creative and collaborative and come up with great ideas too. But it was September. Nouns had been around for a month. It was 4156 and David Horvath and I. We were talking in the Nouns Discord and I didn't have much ETH at the time. So I was throwing in like, one ETH bids, not even like maybe even like 0.1 ETH bids. And I was just like, I want my name to be like ingrained and set on the blockchain forever to show how early I was in this project that is most likely going to be like years and years and years down the road, still just as successful, if not more as it is now. And so I started throwing out these bids. And I honestly want to say it was like four and five, six, which is like, cool, this is great. How do we incentivize this? Is there a way that we can have an incentive for people who are bidding? And I had known about POOPs for a while. 
they were definitely very early. Like not many people knew what they were. I honestly don't even remember where I figured out what they were, how I heard about them at the first, but I was like, oh, this sounds like something that this technology, this thing called a POAP could actually do. They're pretty easy to make. I looked it up. They're pretty easy to send out. How do we use these to like bring forth this idea that 4156 David Horvath and I had? And so I just started thinking about how we would do this, what kind of team we would need. Obviously, we would need an artist. Obviously, we needed someone who knew how to code. That was more so like a front-end developer because the nice thing with POAPs is you actually didn't need to have any real solidity experience to be able to use them and integrate things into them. And so I knew we didn't need a Web3 native dev. We needed a good front-end dev. We needed a good artist to do the POAP art. And then we needed someone to create this UI or this design that would intrigue people or keep them interested in a website or whatever it was that we were going to create. And so David Horvath was obviously the no-brainer choice for the artist. He was involved in this initial conversation. He was very trusted in the noun space and also just in the crypto space. And then that brought me to finding a front-end developer. And so I had been involved in SharkDAO. Obviously, they were part of the testnet days too. And so I was early in their Discord, was seeing this dude CDT doing websites for SharkDAO. And then he would post on Twitter about these cool things he was doing for their like cryptos community. And I was like, oh, this is actually sweet. The fact that this guy is just hanging out, coding these cool front-end sites, these are sweet. And he has, has a lot of trust in the space. That's how we met. I reached out. I'm like, you look like you do great work. You seem like a guy who knows the stuff. Do you want to join me and build this thing for this interesting project called Nouns? And that's how it all began. And so what was that process like? I mean, proposals were new. Nouns were new. Like I said, we were number nine. I think I was maybe the last one to join. We got our designer, we got David. I mean, it was very exciting, right? To be asked and to be involved because I'm just the builder to a fault. I don't want to do operations. I don't want to do management. I just want to ship stuff. And so I remember the project being like the easiest project I've ever worked on in the sense that I'm so used to having to steward my projects along and things that I build. But it was so nice to be like, oh, wow. When you have a team of four and everyone is just focused, an expert on their own thing, like I didn't have to worry about the design of the site I was building. I just had to build it. It was so nice having a well-organized team of professional people siloed into their skill set. So kudos there because I personally am just used to just working alone. And so that was great. But how was writing your first proposal, if you can remember that, and getting feedback in just early days of that? Yeah. Luckily, this is where my background came into play and was incredibly helpful and integral. My background is in project management and production and account management. And so what I did is I literally just did what I would do at design and marketing agencies I've worked at in the past, where a person comes to me and is like, hey, I need this video or hey, I need this landing page. What is this going to cost? What is it going to take? Let me know. And so proposal writing is the most important muscle when it comes to production and project management. And so that was honestly incredibly easy for me. So found out this need. We wanted to find a way to benefit people that were the non-winners of the nouns auction. There are these people who at the time, like gas was expensive. It cost you 20, 30, $40 sometimes, if not even 50 to 60 bucks to bid on a noun back in the day. And so we wanted to find a way that was like, you didn't get the noun. You didn't win this noun. But how can we reward you? And so that was the initial brief. Find a way to reward people for bidding on nouns when they don't win. To, one, incentivize people to keep bidding. We wanted to give them something exciting to do and exciting to show off that, hey, I was early. I was part of this 
project called Nouns, whatever Nouns is 10, 15 years from now. And so then what happens from that spot is figuring out how to do that. First, we figured out co-ops. We think this is going to be a very easy way to create a somewhat crypto native project around co-ops that then can be sent to people who bid on nouns. So we kept it in the space. It's not like we were just emailing someone a photo. Co-ops are technically NFTs. Then it was like, what do we need in order to do that? So we needed an artist who was going to be our artist. Like I said, David Horvath was the first and foremost our person that we wanted to go with. And then second, we had to find a designer. Like I said, we ended up going with his name's OX Designer, but he's been involved in this space for a very, very long time as well. And then we need someone to actually build the site. And so what I do a lot of the times is I like to build my team first. So I have the idea. I know the initial needs. I build the team. And then from there, I know you were involved in this process, but I put an initial draft together of what this looks like. And so it's the typical, what do you need? Why do you need it? How are you going to do it? When is it going to get done? That's the typical like four question process when it comes to building a proposal. So like, let's run through those questions because that will help if anyone's interested in putting together an official proposal. The why, the what are we building is a way to incentivize people to bid on nouns and also reward them for bidding if they didn't win. The why is... This helps proliferate nouns. It keeps people engaged, gives them something to share to their friends to get them kind of onboarded into this space. Like, look at this. Keep people bidding, make people excited about bidding. And then you go into the how. And that's where this team comes in. And so it's find an artist, figure out an art style, create the pop art. Once we have the art done, it's cool. How do we get this in people's hands? How do we make people know about it? We need a site. We brought an OX designer in you. And then from there, it's how do we get these in people's hands? And so figuring that out was obviously a little more complex. If people are familiar with POOPs, it's very hard to natively integrate POOPs into your own front end or into your site. It's definitely gotten a lot better, but we had to figure that out too. And then it's putting the schedule and the timeline together because when you're asking for a pretty large sum of money to help fund the work that's going to this project, you want to be able to show people, we will have this done by this time or as close to this time as possible. You don't want them thinking like, cool, here's 40 ETH, 50 ETH, 60 ETH. Hopefully this gets done. You want to show people, no, we have our stuff together. We have this schedule. We have this cadence. You will get to see rounds of revisions for review at this date. Holding yourselves accountable happens the most in the timeline phase of putting a proposal together. And that's honestly where I think you, me, OX, and David collaborated the most on in this proposal was, cool, how much time do you need? As they project manager, I like to think of myself as being more on the side of the team than on the side of the client a lot of the times. Because if you don't have a happy team that is comfortable within their timeline that they can create great work, if you're rushing people, you're not going to end up with a great result. Like You do not want to rush your team. But also what I found through my experience too is if you give people too much time, the quality actually degrades from there too with the work because people find other things to fill their time with. They'll get busy and preoccupied on other projects. They won't have that nice attention to detail that you would want. And so there's always a very happy medium. And I think the timeline phase of a proposal is the most important, but also the hardest part in creating. So That was my initial thinking with how we put together this proposal for POAP V1, which was proposal number nine. I think there's a good balance of being on top, setting expectations, but also backing off. You definitely did not micromanage, but you definitely gave us flexible enough expectations of when to get things done. I'm curious from maybe a constructive criticism for other people kind of point of view. 
just from proposals you've read, things you've seen, because you've been a part of three or four proposals now, and we'll get into the other ones in a minute. But where do you maybe see proposals falling through in the communication? Like, how can you give some advice maybe to other people? Are people writing it for the first time? Because for me, I understand we're asking for a lot of money and things need to be clear. And maybe sometimes people are nervous. And so they overwrite is something I see a lot. We see these novel <laughs> three page long proposals with stats and charts, everything. And I understand that it's maybe in an attempt to like really communicate and over communicate and like transparency to try to like convince the user, the voter, the reader of the idea. But I feel like maybe it goes too far sometimes and it's too much to read. Attention is scarce. And so what's your maybe key points of advice for new proposers or just critique of proposals you've seen? Where do they maybe fall short? Yeah, I've definitely witnessed that the overriding, the overcomplication of proposals is people's biggest downfall because the people who are going to approve this, you need them to read it. You need them to understand what you're asking for. And so when you overwrite and write this thing that's going to take me 30, 40 minutes to read, there's no way I'm going to read the whole thing. And then I'm way less likely to click the approve button on your prop because I don't actually know what it's about. And I think that's one of the biggest downfalls I've seen. In terms of advice, obviously, we have this thing called discourse, which is a place for you to share the initial thinkings and initial proposal for your idea and is a great place for us to get feedback on our proposals. I would say that that is probably the most important battleground for you when it comes to your proposal and getting it to a good enough spot to be able to put on chain. And so you can write a great proposal. You can write something on discourse that is great and you could have great conversation around it. But like, if you aren't out there advocating for your proposal, sharing it in the main Discord channel or now, obviously it's a whole bigger conversation, but like on Twitter with your friends, with other announcers, sending it to someone's DM, if you aren't getting feedback, your proposal most likely isn't going to get approved. That's one of the things I always do with my proposal process too, is I'll post it on discourse. I'll share that it's there within Discord channels or on Twitter. The biggest thing is to like find these people who you feel would be the most interested or the biggest advocates for your proposal that own nouns, obviously, or are delegated nouns. And you reach out to them privately and say, hey, here's this proposal. I think this would be really beneficial to the DAO. I would really appreciate and benefit from you taking a look at this. You make sure you know that you're super appreciative of them for taking the time and the feedback that they give you. And so I think it's like, yes, you can be great at writing proposals. And even if it's a flawless proposal, if you aren't showing these people who obviously have invested a lot into the ecosystem by buying a noun, by winning an auction, if you aren't showing them that you care about their opinion, you aren't advocating for yourself with them to be like, hey, I trust you. I trust your insight into this. Please review my proposal. If you aren't doing that and you just go straight to putting a proposal on chain and aren't trying to find advocates or people interested in it, it just shows that you're more so thinking about yourself, your project, whether it's you making the money, whether it's you building this thing that is only interesting to you. That's one flaw I've seen is not enough people really advocating for reviews, for approvals, for this collaborative environment before it goes on chain. That's a super, super important part of this proposal process. Yeah, you're basically going out and forcing, soft forcing the finding of attention. It's like attention acquisition almost. So six months later, the project's over. You take some time. I know you develop Breakfast World, which we can get into in a minute because I know it leads into announced coffee. But to stay on this topic, you then open Poop V2. Talk to me about maybe learnings from V1. What is V2 for those who don't know? And talk to me about the team that you've garnered there. Yeah, so V2 
actually out of a discussion with Petruccio, who is the Poop co-founder. So the coolest part about Poop V1 was that was one of the biggest reasons why he started getting involved or invested or interested in Nouns, because he was seeing this Poop V1 project in existence. He's like, oh, this thing called Nouns, I've heard about it. Like, this is interesting. They're using my technology. They're using my Poop. Let me get involved. And so he had been involved in the community for a little bit, was very interested in the ending of Poop V1. And he had some stake in the game, obviously, and was like, hey, breakfast sandwich. I'd love to chat. We started talking about fuel and is great. Like it got him interested. It got some people excited. How can we make this almost even more integrated and exciting within Nouns ecosystem? So he gave me the go ahead, write this brief. Let's see how good it is. Let's get feedback from the community and see if people solve interest. Because like one of the things we learned from V1 was a downfall of it and the lack of real excitement with the V1 proposal was the lack of integration at the time to make it so like the claiming process of a pop was super flawless. There was really no gamification of it. You just weren't able to do that with where the technology of pop was at the time. And so that was one of the biggest hurdles and things I had to figure out on this brief for V2 was how can we make it so literally for V1, I personally had to send out Poops to every single bidder wallet address personally, because there was no way to allow someone to claim them or automatically airdrop them to someone. And so that was probably the biggest pain point. When I was thinking about V2, I was like, cool, we can do this. But the only way we're doing this is if we can find a way to integrate Poop into this front end, into the site, also into the back end to allow it to be almost as automated as possible for the team. And so First step, thinking about that, we knew the need. And then I had to find the team. A no-brainer came to you first. But by this time, you were so integral to the Nouns ecosystem that it was impossible. So then I had to go find a new front-end engineer and resource that could really help out and knew also a little bit more of the back-end and could be a little bit more technical with integrating POP claiming into this. And so definitely a story for another day, but I had worked on another project with this guy. His pseudonym is called Plaid Shaman, and he's the stellar dev. He's worked on a lot of crypto projects before. And so reached out to him and he was like, sure, this sounds super interesting. And it was actually fun because he had known of nouns a little bit, but like never had the time to really dive deep into it. And so it was really cool because I got to bring in a new developer, a new resource that like now has the wherewithal and knows of nouns and can contribute so much more to the ecosystem. That was a really, really cool thing to be able to do. And then we wanted to find an artist that was very well known in the space in nouns. And so Sir Nodes was a very, very easy choice for us as well. So I reached out to them. We ended up using our same designer. So OX designer that did V1. He was just so great. He has some awesome experience. And so yeah, I was building that team and we're super, super close to being finished with this project. But what we ended up doing is instead of just creating a typical landing page with some pop claiming in it, we actually are almost done with building out a whole new auction front end. So it's this really sweet rebranded, almost Windows 95 style front end that will allow you to bid on nouns, win the auctions, and then also have your own login portal based on connecting your wallet, where it will show you all of the POPs you'd won based on your bidding and also allow you to claim them through the site. We're going above and beyond this proposal for sure. The proposal is literally like create a landing page that allows you to claim POAPs. And we were like, you know what? We have some talented people. This is the time. And now, honestly, it seems more important than ever that we have multiple front ends just with the way like the Discord is shutting down. Allowing people as many places as possible to interact with nouns, I think is super, super important. And so, yeah, we decided 
Let's do a little extra work. Let's add some time to the timeline. Let's do this right and do this sweet. Hopefully in the next couple of weeks, you'll be seeing a brand new front end and a really funky, fun design that allows you to bid on a nouns auction and also claim your pops within the same space. Yeah, very excited about that and what's to come. So you worked with Plaid Sherman and I want to get the nouns coffee, but let's talk about the beginning of your coffee project through Breakfast World. One, I'll say it again. It's funny that it was your gamer tag. I was always curious about that because the Breakfast World, the breakfast sandwich, the coffee drop. I remember you did these Twitter spaces. They were like in the morning. The branding's always been so good. (laughs) So talk me through the beginning of that and kind of that first coffee drop and then where Nouns Coffee came to be. Thanks, man. That means a lot. Breakfast sandwich. Yes, it was a gamer tag, but also I've always been that person that's up really early. Huge breakfast aficionado. I go on my runs at five or six in the morning. I'm super hungry afterwards. Breakfast sandwiches, eggs, bacon, you name it. Breakfast is my thing. And honestly, the thing that probably makes my heart the happiest out of almost anything in the world. And it was easy to take that love for breakfast, for coffee, for all of these things and pull them into a project. We're coming up to the one year anniversary of Breakfast World, which is super cool. And I have some exciting things planned. But I started thinking about it this way. I had built this personality in the space. I was nearing 10,000 Twitter followers, which I guess in the space at that time was a decent amount. And I was like, you know what? I have this community. Like, how can I leverage this community to make something cool, make something innovative? We know I was involved in the Nouns Bitter Poop project at the time. I was super involved in Nouns, knew that this project was going to be the most successful, most interesting project for many months, if not years, if not decades to come. And so it's like, I wanted to create a derivative of some sort of nouns, test out the waters in the crypto space, see what I can do in terms of creating a project in a community. And so we ended up doing that. We created these little, I actually was the one who did all the art for them, but created all of these little pixel breakfast sandwiches that a few of them wore noggles. And we launched this project. It was Halloween weekend last year and just slowly garnered this community that was loving of breakfast. They loved their mornings. It was very integral into the space at the time. Like obviously everyone knows GM, good morning. Like that's the biggest saying in this space. And so we wanted to create a community and a space that was focused solely on cool. Let's start our days off with these amazing vibes for lack of a better word. We wanted people to feel excited about starting their days, doing cool things, doing good things, and just being energized for the day. And so we launched that One of the things we wanted to do is find the best way that we can show our thanks and give back to the holders that hold their breakfast sandwiches. And so loving mornings, loving coffee. I have a huge background in coffee, which maybe we can get into a little bit later, but I wanted to find a way that we could give back. And so I was like, what better way than creating a coffee brand for Breakfast World that we could give out to all of our holders for free. And so we created a coffee brand, branded Breakfast World, found our roasters, found our wholesale partners, created these really high quality mugs from this company called Fellow, where we put our branding on them. And then, yeah, it was end of January, February of this last year that we collected addresses from every holder that would give us to them. And we sent them a care package of coffee and a fellow mug for free. And so we decided this is one way that we can give back for saying thank you for being involved in this community, staying with us through this community. And that was kind of the onset of the coffee process for where Breakfast Sandwich went and now is taking it into Nouns Coffee. Yeah, Nouns Coffee has been really interesting for a couple of reasons. One, It's something that's been talked about a lot. No one ever did it. So kudos for jumping on it. We haven't seen too much movement 
and like the physical space some retail sure but not like food just like products like that and so it's cool to see it done and not just done like done really well the nouns coffee website nouns.coffee for those listening is insane it's cute it's got personality, the little bean mascot. I've received bags of beans before. One, you know, I'm an ex-barista, so would love to hear you nerd out about coffee too. But the coffee for one is great. But also the whole experience. It seems like you've really gotten that down after two, three, four projects because the Nouns Coffee rollout has just seemed great. Can you talk about maybe developing that brand? And would love to hear more about sourcing the beans and what you can say about the coffee itself. Totally. Yeah. So... The funny thing is, is actually before Breakfast World, myself and a couple of friends in the middle of the Nouns Bitter Pop project were like, GMs, coffee, we need to do something around this. And we actually drafted up a whole proposal around what this could look like for Nouns Coffee. If you look at the purchase date of the nouns.coffee domain, you'll actually see that it was beginning of October last year. We were actually very interested and invested in seeing if we can make this happen. And for personal reasons with some friends and those kind of things, it ended up falling through. That's Breakfast World was in the works too. And so that took priority. And I'm actually very, very glad that it did because what it allowed us to do is it allowed us to work out production kinks, find the right production partners, garner these relationships that allowed us to get discounts on different things, what have you, for the eventual Nouns Coffee, which I think I always knew in the back of my mind that was going to happen. It was just kind of a not like if, but a win situation. And so we got done with the Bitter Po-op. Breakfast World was happening, started the Bitter V2 Po-op. But yeah, I was starting to think about that with Patricio. And at the same time, I was like, you know what? I have some bandwidth. My day-to-day of my IRL 9-to-5 job was on the downside. Like I didn't have that many hours to work. And so I was like, I have bandwidth to do something cool. Let's finally do now is coffee. And so... That one was a really cool experience because it shows the breadth of what the Nouns ecosystem is. And so I started with a Nouns prop house proposal. And this was one of the ones two people would win five ETH to invest into their proposal. And so all I put up was we will create a brand identity for this thing called Nouns Coffee. If people like it, we will then put up an on-chain proposal to actually create the thing to produce the coffee, produce the bags, like create the full brand. And so I want to say we were third out of 40 or 50, if not more proposals. So we were so close to winning it, but we sadly didn't. And so two other people won it and kudos to them. Like they're doing great work. I think one of them is soon to boop and meta monk who are doing the brand standards, brand guidelines for nouns, which I think is super, super important, but we didn't win. And I honestly wasn't bummed at all. I almost saw it as like this little silver lining that we just garnered all of this attention around Nouns Coffee, so much so that it had hundreds of votes, was like almost the one that won. And everyone's interested. People want Nouns Coffee. And I had the background to do it. Sweet. I know absolutely every single step that we need to create a brand new brand for Nouns Coffee and how to produce it. I have all the partnerships, relationships, wholesale vendors. They're all set. They run this for Breakfast World. So I'll just replicate this for Nouns Coffee. And we lost the proposal in Nouns Prop House. And within like three days, I had garnered all the feedback I needed on a full proposal and had it up on chain. And within two days later, it was approved. And so that's one of the cool things is like you could fail at Prop House, but then within five days, have a fully funded proposal to create something awesome. And so that's how that started, which was super cool that it started on Prop House. So that's really cool to me. 
I understand losing a prop house round probably doesn't feel good, especially I think there were like two winners and you were the third one or something like that, like when it's really close. But a couple things. One, I think it says something to lose and be like, okay, well, what now, right? Having that high agency, as they call it, to kind of take the no and do something with it, go farther. And if anything, you know, maybe ended up speeding up the process because you're like, okay, well, if they won't give me the five ETH or whatever it is, we're just going to do the whole thing. I mean, we got the name out there. I guess I hadn't considered the marketing opportunity of just getting the idea out there and losing. Like, who cares? You got the idea out there. People were excited because you were like the runner up or something. And then you just went to go open a proposal. And so I guess what happened in those weeks, like going back in the lab, as it were, and, and kind of planning like, okay, now we need to flesh it out into this bigger thing. Yeah, it definitely felt like going on Prop House was almost a marketing initiative for the end goal. Because I think when I went initially into Prop House, the goal was always to have a coffee brand come out of it, not just the design side. Yeah, sure. It, it kind of sucked losing like it always does when people don't like your idea enough. But also it was kind of heartening to hear that we were literally, I think, third. And so because of that, I knew the interest was there. This two weeks of going up on Tody Hawks, he does like the Shark Tank spaces every once in a while. Going on those just to market the idea too really garnered a lot of attention to Nouns Coffee and to the brand. And so, yeah, it was five or six days between when the prop house ended and we lost to when we had a proposal on chain. And so I knew that was going to be where we were headed if we would have won the prop house, just done the brand exercise and then gone to a full proposal. We probably still wouldn't have Nouns Coffee in the world today. And so losing the prop house round allowed Nouns Coffee to come to market so much sooner, which all of us loved. We now have this brand that is here for the fall. We hopefully can do something for NFT NYC. There are a lot of cool initiatives now that we're able to do because we went straight to the full proposal. It was like a silver lining, a really cool marketing initiative. And honestly, I'm glad we lost the prop house round. Yeah, I really think that bears repeating because people lose out all the time. I mean, it's the nature of prop house. There's only going to be X amount of winners or there are props that are defeated. But very rarely is nouns as a whole saying no to the core idea. Usually it's a not yet or not like this kind of thing. And I guess I don't know why I don't see more people using that springboard. I guess I hadn't realized how quick you said four to five days. Like, that's crazy, but better than waiting three months or something like that to really shape it up. I mean, if you were ready to talk about it, ready to start out that exercise, just building off that was great. So I'm looking at the beans and the design, the mugs, the logo, etc. Talk to me a bit about the art, the branding, because again, I think it's some of the coolest to come out of Nouns products or Nouns projects in general. I think it's pretty unique. It's pretty fun. So what was that? Because I know you went to the community for some public voting on different takes, but what was it like developing the brand identity? So this definitely goes back to my experience in the marketing, creative brand agency realm, where building brand identities, I, I was at an agency for a few years once, where like, that's literally all I did. Every project I was on was helping companies with either refresh brands or new brand identities altogether. And so I have the process down to a T when it comes to building brand identities. So like first and foremost, obviously, was garnering a team that was 
one, flexible enough to work within the crypto space, because as we know, it is a pretty flexible, pretty quick space to work in. And so sometimes typical design processes and designers are used to working at a very slow, regimented, structured process. So I found two people who I knew would be really, really great. One of them is predominantly a front-end designer. They usually do the no-code. They work in Figma. They put it into Webflow. They do that sort of thing. So like, I knew I had a great front-end web developer designer that was ready to go. And then just through a lot of other connections, a lot of friends, ended up with a designer who used to be a senior designer and art director at one of the biggest third-wave coffee companies in the world. So working at places like Blue Bottle Coffee, Stumptown Coffee, like all over the place. And so we got super, super lucky to bring in a designer of that caliber that was used to working in this coffee space. And so basically what that then led to is the typical brand identity design process. So we went to the drawing board. We went through the mood board processes where we actually had both designers not necessarily like competing against each other. Sometimes designers feel like it's like that. I like to view it as more of a collaborative. Each of you go off, do three to four unique mood boards each of styles and directions where you're pulling in type, illustration styles, color palettes, photography styles, like whatever it is, pull these into mood boards and then let's come together and review them. So I think we had six to seven or six to eight different mood boards that us three, myself and the two designers as a team looked at and reviewed. We narrowed it down to two or three. And then from there, what we had them do is take those mood boards and work them into more of a high fidelity kind of like a brand where we have them do like, all right, explore some logos, explore some word marks, propose a few different color palettes that work with these. And so that ended up getting us to this place where I felt ready enough to go to the community where we had two unique directions. And there's a Twitter thread of them somewhere where we actually had the community kind of vote where one style was this very pixel centric, noun centric brand. And so You saw it and you immediately knew it was nouns because we used so many pixel elements. We had the noggles everywhere on the packaging. Like that was one of the proposals. And then the other one, which is actually where we ended up going, and I'm so glad we did, is this illustration style where there's this old mid-1900s, late 1900s style called rubber hose. And so there's this illustration style that is this really like exaggerated, elongated arms and legs usually around certain characters. And so we brought the coffee bean inspired by the coffee head from the nouns art. And so we brought that into this rubber hose style as being our lead mascot. And then we actually centered most of the brand around that. And so we put this to the community and a lot of people were like, no, I love this pixel centric noun style. You should go with that. It's the most recognizable. And this was one of the turning points in the decision to go the way we did is My thinking with this, and this is one of the issues I see with so many NFT projects, crypto-based projects that are trying to like get into the real world, whether it's through products, digital goods, whatever it is, they don't realize how small their communities actually are. When they're producing these projects and these products, t-shirts, hoodies, whatever it is, they're creating them for the communities. Sure, you're a 10K PFP project. Nouns, sure, you have like five to 10,000 people kind of interested. But like when you think about that at scale and viability for like keeping this business going, that is the smallest market in the world. And I've also noticed too that people in the crypto space, they will reshare, retweet, do whatever they want. But like it is very, very rare that they actually buy your products. And so our decision to go with this rubber hose 
almost more recognizable style to people outside the crypto space was because the goal of Nounce Coffee, and I honestly think the goal of a lot of these projects and products that are coming out of Nounce should be. Sure, you build this off of this amazing brand, Nounce, you already have this start of a community, but in order for your product and your project to actually be viable and withstanding through the test of time, you need to have people who know absolutely nothing about crypto, Nounce, etc. They need to be able to see that product and be like, this is sweet, I'm going to buy it. Because they love it and because they like the brand, they like the product, not because it's related to nouns. And so that was our biggest goal is like, we want people to be able to see nouns coffee and know absolutely nothing about crypto or nouns and be able to be like, oh, I'm excited about this. I'm going to buy it. This is cool. That's why we ultimately ended up going in the direction that we headed in. Yeah, I think it's pretty genius. I had no idea that style was called rubber hose. That's awesome to put a name to it. I noticed even on the bags, you guys have the noggles peeking out from the bottom for those who haven't seen it. And I like what you said about not just strictly doing the pixel thing, because if you look at the noggles, again, I just geek out over like little details. You didn't just put on the PNG from the asset download, right? Because even the noggles on the front of the coffee, I noticed the corners are like rounded. It's not pixelated, right? It's not just harsh corners there. It really does fit into the brand, even in those small details. And for what it's worth, for those who haven't seen it, I mean, the coffee bags are pretty great. It's really cool to see them next to each other. Like when there's multiple, to see them on shelves is just really great. Yeah, those noggles are a direct pull from the character. And so because obviously the character is a round illustration style, we couldn't just throw pixel noggles on it. They'd be square and they wouldn't fit. And so we hand drew the noggles onto the character. And so those are the ones that are actually pulled directly from that character that are little sneaky noggles that peek out from the bottom of the bag. Amazing. I didn't know that. Obviously, you have the white and the red as the iconic palette, but you have more muted yellow as an accent color that like maybe at first the red and the yellow wouldn't go. But all of the stickers and all of the branding that goes around the announced copy website really does flow together really well. So the whole buying experience with Nounce Coffee is pretty great. It's really fun. So let's pivot just a bit. I was a barista for two years back in the day, and it's something that I get asked a lot. And so I'll throw the question to you. Take someone who has like a Mr. Coffee coffee maker, and they have never had whole bean coffee, and they just want everything automatic. But they say, just help me level up, right? I can't buy the $400 grinder. I can't buy the Linea Mini. What's the next kind of more approachable way to upgrade to some sort of pour over coffee or some sort of like better coffee setup? What do you usually tell people? Yeah, I mean, there are so many different levels and so many steps you could take. Like you said, the La Marzocco Linea Mini, which is the grail of home espresso machines, that is the peak. If you are ready to drop six or $7,000 on an espresso machine, you've made it to the peak of coffee. And so obviously there's so many steps in between there, between the Mr. Coffee type people and the people who have a machine like that. And so if someone was literally, they had their Mr. Coffee machine, they bought their ground coffee pre-ground from Starbucks or from the gas station or grocery store, like the next step and the next level up from there, if people were really looking to get into coffee, they wanted to see what was out there, like see what everyone's talking about. They hear all these people at coffee shops or third wave being like, ooh, I taste notes of chocolate or notes of cherry. And definitely the people who are used to drinking Mr. Coffee will be like, what the heck? I just taste coffee. And so it's actually a really cool eye-opening experience. I've done this with quite a few of my friends where you actually 
do the pour overs with them and show them how to taste different flavors in different notes from coffees. And once you have someone to kind of be your guide and take you through that experience, it opens up the addiction of coffee gear, whether it's pour overs, espresso machines, it's endless how deep you can get. And so what I would recommend is if you are looking to make that next step into I don't even want to call it specialty coffee because a lot of the people who are in the Mr. Coffee realm, like they just want to uplevel their experience a little bit. Literally get any kind of kettle you want. Yes, there's this kind of kettle. It's called the gooseneck kettle, which is ideal for doing pour overs because it allows for a consistent flow of water to come out. But like even some of those just electric tea kettles that have the bigger spout that let out of a bunch of water, like that's even a better next step than just using your Mr. Coffee if you are looking to get into the pour over realm. And then they're like $20 either ceramic or glass or some sort of plastic little contraption that goes on top of a mug or a carafe that is a V-shaped. One of the ones like Hario has a V60 is what it's called. That's the one I use the most. Blue Bottle Coffee also has a really cool contraption that they use too, but the Hario V60 is probably the cheapest and easiest one to find on places like Amazon. But yeah, I would recommend just if you have a tea kettle at home, Otherwise, you can find cheap ones for like 20 bucks on Amazon. Pick up one of these Hario V60s. That's 20, 30 bucks on Amazon last time I think I checked. And then you'll just need some filters. Sure, you can start with your pre-ground Starbucks coffee from Starbucks from the grocery stores. But otherwise, I would definitely recommend just going to a local coffee shop that's not a chain, asking them, hey, I'm getting into coffee, like starting to test things out. I want to try some pour overs. Could you recommend one of your beans that you have for me? And You probably don't have a grinder at home if you're using a Mr. Coffee machine. And so if that's the case, it's fine to ask your local roaster to grind your coffee. And so I would just start with that. Have your local roaster grind your coffee. Make sure you have a tea kettle at the very least. If you can afford or want to purchase a gooseneck kettle, that's obviously better. And then just get a Hario V60. And so then you would be able to try out this new process that I honestly find therapeutic, the methodical nature of actually sitting there pouring your water over your coffee. Like if you truly are looking to get into coffee, that experience is something that just feels super therapeutic and rewarding versus just pressing a button in the morning and turning on your Mr. Coffee machine. Yeah, I can hard co-sign that. I've had a bunch of stuff throughout the years. And I mean, even if you take good care of your Chemex, one day you're going to be washing it and you're going to drop it and it's going to break because they're made of glass. Yep. So my setup is the V60 and I bought the plastic one on purpose. Smart. Because you could chuck it across the room and it's going to be fine. Yeah, get your filters on Amazon. Get the electric gooseneck kettle and you're good for like 40 bucks with a really lean and mean setup, which is great. Then, you know, the burr grinder is going to be the expensive part if you want to take it to that step. But yeah, your local coffee shop will do it for you, which is great. So once Nouns Coffee was out and the initial excitement and income of orders, etc. have come out, now that you've taken maybe like a step back How do you reflect on the project itself? Was it kind of what you expected? Has it been bigger? I understand you have some partnerships that are in the works or have started. Can you kind of speak to the impact and kind of the future of Nouns Coffee? Yeah, definitely. The initial reception of Nouns Coffee that we got from the community was beyond what I even expected. I think we had 50 to 60 orders within the first hour or two of launching the website, which, as I said before, in the crypto space, People will say they're excited, but they almost will never buy into things. So like just seeing those orders come in was this really nice affirmation that, oh, cool. Even these people who are very like sometimes flaky, but also just having them buy into our project and see that, oh, cool. People are interested in Nouns Coffee was really, really rewarding. 
after the initial like week or two of launch when everyone bought their coffee, they got their mugs, then it obviously started to dwindle out a little bit. And that's where some of these partnerships are coming in that I think are going to help us reach people outside of the crypto space, which I think is one of our biggest goals at Nounce Coffee is to like have people that know about crypto to be our smallest demographic when it comes to purchasing Nounce Coffee. And so one of the big ones that we're working on now is actually exciting because it garners attention from another funded Nounce project. So Nounce Esports is this funded project where Nounce now has an esports team where they sponsor a bunch of different games, a bunch of different athletes and players to be able to keep them going and fund them as they play in all these tournaments around the world, winning matches. It's really, really cool to see. I would say like that project in terms of reach and visibility has been the most successful Nounce project to date. They're getting thousands and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of views on their streams when they're playing in these tournaments. And it's cool because they're like all wearing the noggles and the Nounce sunglasses that people have made. And so that's super, super cool. And in gaming, you think monster energy drinks like Rockstar, Red Bull, all these things. And that's cool. Now this doesn't have a G Fuel type product at all, at least not yet. We need to keep these people fueled and caffeinated. Nounce Coffee is caffeine. It's a really cool brand. It's really fun. It's obviously Nounce-centric, just like Nounce Sports. So I reached out to some of the people who run the Nounce Sports team. I was like, hey, I think there's something here. We're both Nounce projects. Let's support each other. Let's figure out what we can do. And so we're really close to releasing a referral program with all of their athletes. And so what we'll be doing is every single player will be getting a referral code that then on all of their streams, they'll be able to share with all of their viewers where they will actually get a little kickback too from every time their referral code is used, they'll get a certain percentage. It's kind of like a give-give situation where we're helping out the Nouns esports teams while they're also helping out Nouns Coffee. So that's a, a really, really exciting partnership, which I think is probably going to be going live in the next week or two. That's number one. And I think that's going to really help us reach an audience. It's adjacent to crypto, but like it's outside of crypto in a way that I think it will help make Nouns Coffee so much more sustainable. I love that. There's something really cool about this professional esports team or teams, rather. There's several of them now drinking, being sponsored by helping sell Nouns Coffee and in their own context, in their own world at tournaments, at games, etc. And it just like has nothing to do with the auction, with the DAO, with anything. Right. I love that about Nouns, like really pushing it into just other contexts that maybe isn't obviously nouns and they're still there and to that point like i said earlier i am not a gamer never really have been but i agree i think the esports pod and efforts have been some of the coolest to see and that have excited me for whatever reason the most so really cool that you guys are working with them and supporting them in that yeah we're we're really really excited and like you said it's super cool to see every once in a while on the streams when one of these players just lifts up their nouns coffee mug and starts drinking and like the nice thing is is like Sure, they might run out of coffee, but these mugs, if you haven't purchased one or haven't received one yet, these fellow mugs will keep things cold for over a day. They'll keep things hot. Like you could literally fill up your coffee one morning, put the top on, and it would still be hot the next day. These things are top notch for whatever drink you want to have in it. And it's just cool. Whether they're drinking energy drinks or coffee out of them, just seeing someone who literally doesn't even know or has never been on a noun drinking out of announce coffee mug wearing noggles while they're playing video games like it's super super cool to see yeah 
And shameless plug, I use it every day for my second cup. So I usually start with a mug. And then if I have to go out or something, I always have two cups a day. And my second one, I put in an ounce coffee tumbler. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. I threw out the Yeti. Don't have that anymore. We don't need it anymore. No, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. So what's the other partnership you guys have in the works? Yeah, so RAC, who is a musician artist based in Portland on the West Coast, he's actually opening up his own cafe and coffee shop in Portland soon. And so one of the things we've been trying to do too is find wholesale partners. And so he actually ended up reaching out to us and was just like, yo, I'm starting this cafe, this coffee shop. Can we get an ounce coffee in this coffee shop? And I was like, 110% yes. Like this is the coolest partnership we can do because for any of you that don't know, RAC, he actually is a noun owner too. He's a nouner. So having this relationship, this partnership where like this guy who's actually a very, very talented musician, don't quote me on this, but like I believe he might even have a Grammy. He's a pretty big deal. And he's starting a coffee shop with some friends in Portland. And we were like, yes, let's figure out what this looks like. And so we'll be working on this wholesale relationship where if you're on the West Coast, like you'll be able to go into his cafe and buy Nouns Coffee and hopefully be able to have it on pour over, have it on drip. That's something that we're incredibly excited about. And beyond that, like we're looking forward to getting into more and more cafes. Because like I said, these kind of partnerships are the ones that a brand like Nouns Coffee needs to be sustainable. Like it cannot be sustainable if we silo ourselves just into the crypto space. So yeah, partnering with RAC and this cafe that they're creating is going to be amazing. Yeah, that's really exciting. And again, maybe you two would never have met up. Why would he ask you or anyone else? But with Nouns, we all have the same seat at the table here. We have this unified thing that we can all come together around, right? And now you guys linked up. I'm curious about how that works. I mean, again, if this is like not sorted out, no worries. Is this like Nouns Coffee wholesale providing the beans, but it will maybe be like, let's say it's RAC Coffee Shop or whatever. Will we see the Nouns from the front or are we selling bags and he has other beans? Or like, how does that work? If you can speak to that. Yeah, and I don't think they've figured out the official logistics of it all on their end. But what it will most likely look like is a lot of cafes will do this where they actually bring in wholesale whole beans, your normal 12 ounce bags from a bunch of different roasters. And then they have them all up on like their coffee shelf. And then they'll decide each day or each week what to have on brew, whether that's on espresso or on drip or those kind of things. And so I'm assuming it'll be that sort of situation where like you might be able to walk in and you'll look over at their coffee shelf where they have kind of myriad of different beans from all over the place. And one of those will be Nouns Coffee. You'll be able to look over and see the little noggles peeking out from the bottom of the bag, staring at you, telling you to buy it. It'll be pretty cool to see. Yeah, that's amazing. You're going to have to go out there and go see it. That's so cool. Yeah, oh, we, we definitely will. We'll make a fun trip out of that. Obviously, the West Coast, Portland and Seattle, is they're like the coffee capitals of the United States. So that'll be really fun. Is there anything else about maybe the future of Nouns Coffee that you want to share or just bigger goals? Yeah, I think... If you look at the original proposal in there, we actually have phase two and phase three that will be eventually we'll propose them. I think what we're waiting for is we're waiting for this moment where we feel like Nouns Coffee has proven itself in a way that makes it viable and sustainable, like I said, without being around crypto. And that means funding at least one or two people to be able to work based on the sales of coffee. And so once we've hit that, we'll move into these phase two and phase three approaches, which the dream state is that Nouns Coffee just funds them itself. 
But obviously, if we feel like we need a little bit of support from the DAO, we would put up proposals for these as well. But right now in phase one, what we're doing is we're doing this thing called white labeling, where we find partner roasters around the United States and we basically test out roast, test out beans with them and decide, okay, cool, let's do this roast this month. And then we send them our packaging and they fulfill the coffee for us. And then we have a kind of drop shipping partner that will then ship it out to everyone else. So that's how we do it now. That's phase one for this whole bean coffee. Phase two is being able to bring the roasting in-house because when you do that, and you have the right partner that's able to roast for you, like you have so much more control over the quality of the roast. You have more flexibility. You can do more roasts. You literally can change your roast daily if you really wanted to. And so that's going to be phase two, where hopefully we can bring the logistics of roasting and shipping out the coffee fully in-house. Like I said, we'll take a while to prove this out enough to know that we can sustain having, whether it's a couple part-time people or a couple full-time people on staff to be able to manage the roasting and logistics. So that would be phase two. And then the dream state is end goal phase three, final form of nouns coffee is obviously to have a coffee shop of our own. I just always dream of you're walking around New York City, whether it's Midtown or Soho or wherever it is, let's say you're in Soho and you're walking down these cobblestone streets and you look over and all you see is this bright, illuminating red sign to the right. And you're like, oh, that red is familiar. You look over and it's a pair of novels and under it says now it's coffee. And it's a cafe that you walk into and it's just like the most well-designed, well-branded, so nouns, especially around nouns coffee. Sometimes I just dream of that. I'm just like, how cool would this be to turn this into something that is literally big enough to be on the streets of New York? And so that's the end goal. It will most likely take a while to get there. Like I said, we don't want to be a brand that is just like, here now it's fund us, fund us, fund us. We want to be self-sustaining and show that like you can have this initial stepping stool from nouns, but that projects should always drive their goal to be, we can fund ourselves after we get this initial hit of funding from proposals. So we'll see how long that takes, but hopefully someday we can all meet up at nouns coffee whether it's New York City, Portland, wherever it is, I just think that's the dream for sure. Yeah, that would be amazing. But I hear you on the self-sustainability thing. I think about that stuff myself. And it seems like you have a lot of work ahead of you or potential work that you could do. Like you do have a good vision of what this can be. And it's an open road here for you to grow this brand as much as you want. Now it's helped you at the beginning piece by piece, becoming more self-reliant on your own brand. And then you bring the, the roaster in house and more partnerships and you raise funds that way. And then the bigger kind of endeavors. But I'm sure you'll be doing that over the next couple of years. But can you tell me anything about Breakfast Studio? I don't know much about it. Like what else does your day-to-day creative work look like or will look like over the next year? Yeah. So Breakfast Studio, is it was kind of founded underneath. So if we look at it in this way, like Breakfast World is this conglomerate, in a sense, like parent, quote unquote, company. The original company, the LLC, is Breakfast World. Underneath that, we have Nouns Coffee operating. And then we also have Breakfast Studio, which is the design arm that has supported both Breakfast World, Nouns Coffee, the new Poop prop. So basically, it's this studio of designers, developers, artists, strategists that we have that we're currently trying to build up more and more and hopefully be able to be this somewhat crypto-based, Web3-based design and branding studio, but also eventually hopefully help people outside of the crypto and Web3 space. And so what we're doing now is building up 
interest in builders, whether that's developers, designers, strategists, copywriters, what have you. We're building up the interest now for the hope to be able to start pitching out projects outside of ones that are Nouns Citric or within the Nouns ecosystem so that we can have this fun, sustaining branding and development studio that I could see it getting huge. I could see it saying small right now. It's just a group of five or six people that we're all here and we're all willing to work hard and build some cool things. And so right now, the Web3 space is obviously the most viable. There is so much work to be done in this space, especially around the design, development, and branding side of things. You have a lot of great technological people that know code. But when it comes to branding strategy and design, that's where I think in order to get mass adoption in this space, we need a lot of help in. And so we're hoping to keep the studio going and build it up even more to help out, whether it's projects or even bigger brands that are trying to get into Web3 or crypto to be able to support them in a way that up levels and bridges that gap between the real corporate world and Web3. As we're winding down here, I did want to kind of end on this note because I think it's really important. I think there's a big opportunity here. and I think it's smart that you're already starting to like talk about how this is a thing that you guys do or are trying to do because there's a ton of people with ideas and the desire to start building things, but it's really hard to do it alone. Like it's not that easy to be self-sufficient with these things because you do need design help or you do need kind of ops help for bigger projects. And so I've talked to other people who have thought about similar kind of like Web3 agency, but I haven't seen it. And so it would be cool to see that coming out of the breakfast name, right? You know, Breakfast Studio, especially because you have this track record and kind of this history with project like Nouns that could really help as you grow that, especially, I mean, I keep saying this, I just feel like one of the biggest things that we lack right now in this space is good design, good design help. It just feels like there's a million devs with no one to help them design things. And so I think it could be pretty big opportunity for you guys to maybe be around. And I'm not sure how willing or open you are to work today, but if anyone listening was curious, how can they reach out to you for work? Yeah, definitely. I mean, even just you saying that reminded me too, like, Sure, we have some great designers and developers, but we also have people, obviously, in my background, too, in ops and project management. And so sometimes that's the biggest hurdle. You could have an incredibly talented designer, incredibly talented developer, but if you don't have the logistical experience to actually like build out a project plan, put around a proposal, actually build out this timeline to get us to an end product, designers and developers spin and spiral all the time, and then they end up just foregoing their project because they don't know how to get to the finish line. And so I would say like, if you have an idea, whether you're a designer or developer, if you yourself need a team, my DMs, Breakfast Sandwich, like they're always open. You can reach out to the Breakfast Studio Twitter handle too. I mean, like we're even open to consult if you have an idea and don't know how to execute on it. Or even if you need help, if you're in the Nouns ecosystem and want to figure out how to get a proposal up on chain, like we're happy to be here to consult too in that and help you build timelines, help build project plans to get you to kind of your end goal and your end product. So yeah, I would say like we're definitely open to work. If you have an idea and need help building a team to help execute it, yeah, we're here. Reach out. Our DMs should be always open. It would be funny to see an arm of the agency be like Nouns proposal critique and writing because I feel like there's kind of an art there. It's one of the lists of our product offerings is like announced proposal writing and assistance. That's been something I even reached out to people like 22 and just be like, I'm even here just to help out. Because like, obviously, the better the proposals are in the Nouns ecosystem, the faster this brand, this culture, this movement are going to grow. We're all here. We're all building in it. All of us will benefit from Nouns becoming bigger and bigger. And so 
our DMs are always open. Feel free to reach out. We're here to assist. We're here to help build teams, kind of whatever you need. Well, thanks for being here today. Thanks for going over the history of all the work you've done. We're really excited about what the next year of breakfast sandwich studio world, et cetera, has <laughs> to offer. Where can people find not just you, but all of the other brands? Yeah, definitely. At Nouns Coffee is Nouns Coffee for our Twitter handle. Nouns.coffee or shop.nouns.coffee are where you can find the site and our product offerings. The Breakfast Studio is our design arm. The Breakfast Sandwich is my Twitter handle, so you can find me there. Try to get just Breakfast Sandwich, but some yoga instructor from the UK is trying to charge me $2,000 for it. So that's probably not going to happen, but we'll see. And then, yeah, Breakfast World NFT is the Twitter handle for Breakfast World, which also we have a Discord that we're trying to slowly incorporate into or build into being a GM morning coffee centric space for nouns as they start to wind down their Discord. So feel free to join that too. All the links should be at Breakfast World NFT and on the site that's linked in the bio. So yeah, a lot of places to find us. Amazing. Yeah, we'll link all that. Well, thanks again for coming and we'll talk soon. Awesome, CDT. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, you're doing so much for this space. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Good luck on everything. Talk to you later.